everybody. Welcome to No Show. My name is Matt Brown. As always, I'm joined by Jeff Foreman. Today, we have a very special guest, Matt Cornelius. Uh, Matt is currently Executive Vice President of the Airports Council International North America. Uh, Matt, uh, before we get going, we're going to pepper you with questions about airlines, airports, the state of travel uh, in North America and the world. But before we get into all of that, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> Good question. Uh, well, uh, thanks, Matt and Jeff, for having me on the program first and foremost. Uh, I'm Matt Cornelius. As you said, I'm the Executive Vice President for Airports Council International North America. We are a uh, trade association that represents airport operators uh, in the U.S. and Canada. So it's about 300 commercial service airports uh, in that territory. Um, we're part of a five-region organization. So there's one of our uh, groups in each one of the, the, the areas around the world. And then we have a global organization in Montreal. That's not what you asked. My background, uh, I'm a lifelong lover of transportation and particularly aviation. Because of that love, I've been always involved in some form of transportation. I uh, started out in, in the bus industry and then uh, graduated to airports uh, starting in New York City, working for the Port Authority, world's largest airport system. Uh, I think they're these days up to about 120 million people a year in a, in a normal year. So I uh, lived there for a while and then uh, went to grad school in Colorado at the University of Colorado Boulder, did some skiing, enjoyed the mountains and uh, worked for the airport there in operations and then joined Frontier Airlines. Frontier was a good experience in the volatility of the airline business and airports are much more stable. So looking to my future, uh, uh, did end up uh, going back to the airports, moving to Washington, which is how I eventually met, met Jeff uh, in the Virginia area. But um, worked for the, the Washington airports for a couple of years and basically the opportunity to join the trade association. And I uh, thought I'd be there for, for three years or so. And I'm uh, going to be celebrating my 10th year in November. And, and it's a lot of work. We're, we're busier than ever. But again, when you when you do something that you love, it's, it's not work. What kind of issues does the uh, council advocate for? So anything that's important to our members, uh, airport uh, operators, um, and and I should mention not only uh, our primary members are airport operators, but we do have about 400 businesses that are we call airport related businesses. So they, you know, anything from a concessionaire to wheelchair providers and anything that's at an airport, generally split into two. Uh, uh, avenues. So there's the legislative uh, work, and that's you know your typical Washington lobbyist stuff, you know, dealing with Congress and uh, that sort of thing. And then uh, regulatory, because we are obviously a highly uh, regulated industry. So that is a little bit more where I spend my time, but it's dealing with federal agencies, FAA, TSA, U.S. Customs and Border Protection primarily. You'd mentioned uh, jurisdictions a little bit. Airports seem like they're just a tangled web of jurisdictions. You know, I've heard that that a traveler passes through something like a dozen governing bodies from the time that they enter the airport driveway to the time that they take off. I live in New York and, you know, say JFK in New York, you've got uh, Port Authority Police, you've got TSA, part of Homeland Security, you've got Customs and Border Protection, also Homeland Security, you've got the FAA, you've got a Centers for Disease Control Office, on occasion National Guard. You've got City Transit, you've got AirTran, which is contracted out by the authority. You've got about a billion Ubers and yellow cabs. You've got vendors <laughs> yeah. and businesses everywhere from Hertz to Shake Shack. And they've all got all the businesses have their own corporate governance and their own private property, not the least of which yep. is the planes themselves. Matt, 
how do decisions get made in this environment? Where does the buck stop at a place like JFK or Dulles? Well, the, the buck doesn't stop. That's the, the key, right? <laughs> the buck is just going like a space probe. <laughs> like Voyager just keeps so you make, moving. You make a really good point because, and that's one of the challenges in the job that I do is that, you know, people don't really understand airports. They don't think about the airport. It just sort of exists. And that's okay. I mean, it means that, you know, there isn't necessarily a whole lot of problems, but when we're trying to advance issues on behalf of airports, you know, you have to take a minute and educate people about how it really works. So, uh, so again, very good question. Um, you know, the way I like to think about it is that an airport is really just a mini city. The people I represent, the airport operators are sort of like the local government at the airport. So we have to either control or coordinate all of those things that you just talked about. So while there are certainly overlapping jurisdictions, I mean, you want to talk about regulatory side of things, and you mentioned you started out with a bunch of different agencies. That's much more of a coordination function for the airport. So generally, uh, airports have their own law enforcement either arms or, you know, a relationship with a local jurisdiction that provides that service. So, so that sort of is in their control, but certainly all of the normal federal law enforcement agencies have a role at the airport. And, and you hit some of the ones that you see, certainly, you know, TSA is not a law enforcement agency, but actually they are part of the Department of Homeland Security. It's very funny legal kind of distinction, but U.S. Customs and Border Protection is probably the most notable federal agency on site. They are the, the U.S.'s largest law enforcement agency with almost 60,000 office, you know, armed officers, which is something people don't also understand. So, so they're there. But you also have, you know, the FBI, uh, they play a, a really critical role, um, actually, in uh, air transportation, interstate transportation. So when fed, there are federal law enforcement issues, they tend to come and step in. And then there's, you know, related to that is things like the JTTF, which is, you know, the Terrorism Task Force. They, uh, since aviation is such a uh, top target in terms of terrorism, security, that sort of thing, they have that component. But, you know, the, the, the world is a changing place, too. So, you know, again, things that you wouldn't even think about, but I think it's called CISA, um, but, and it's an arm of DOJ. But, you know, as it relates to cybersecurity, that's a, an, you know, ever-increasing threat to what we call critical infrastructure. Uh, airports are part of critical infrastructure. And, uh, you know, with what's going on in the world right now, even more so a target. And so there's a whole federal blanket of, uh, of law enforcement. And of course, you have, you mentioned CDC, they are uh, an up and coming uh, player in, in our space. Every uh, agency usually is trying to elbow everyone else out and, you know, take their space. And, and so that's where the airport operator's role sort of coordinator really becomes important. On the commercial side, yeah, there's a you know hundreds of businesses that really thrive off the activity at the airport. Again, the principle of what we do is you know facilitate and coordinate you know all the activity, commercial, non-commercial. It's uh, it's a mini city, right? And uh, you know the airport director in a lot of ways is, is the mayor of that mini city, and and you know has to deal with uh, everything uh, any other mayor would have to deal with. And and do most do most airports in North America have a mayor or CEO kind of role? Yeah, they do. So the U.S. is a little bit funny. Globally, the airport's uh, uh, system is generally uh, private or quasi-private. So, you know, there are huge companies that operate airports. I mean, some of the biggest, you know, sort of real estate, you know, like a Macquarie or, or something like that is involved in um, airport management 
around the world. Um, and, and, and that's not the model in the U.S. Canada is sort of quasi-private, um, but they still, they actually lease land from the government uh, and pay the government a rent and then operate a little bit privately, but the government has a say. In the U.S., it's all public, actually. So that's, it's very different. Generally, there's kind of two models for, for airports, either a municipal, a part of a municipal government, or they've created a, a, a quasi-public-private entity called an airport authority. So in New York, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey is actually uh, the first authority that was created. Everyone always thinks of, of the uh, Tennessee Valley Authority that we were taught in elementary school as being, you know, the sort of the, the first one that, you know, built, I guess, all the dams and, and got us out of the Depression in the 30s. But the Port Authority predates that to, the, the, to 1920 um, and, and their bi-state um, agency. And so that that's, you know, generally the model that I think most airports are are, are moving towards. Uh, but then you have, you know, city city organization. You know, I worked in Denver. Denver Airport is, uh, you know, completely under the city and county of Denver organizations. So, you know, the mayor essentially is, you know, the mayor of Denver is, is over the airport and has, uh, you know, some some control over it. But there is an airport director there that reports to the mayor is appointed by the mayor and then functions, uh, you know, sort of as autonomously as possible. So how, are, how are airports funded? If you want to build a new one, I can't remember the last time an airport just sprang <laughs> up from the ground, but if you want to build an airport or renovate or add a runway, how do you, how, how does that get funded? Oh boy. So how long do you have? I'll, I'll focus on the U S uh, uh, on this, but it's it's hard. It's really hard. And that's why it doesn't happen very often. I think the, the last really true new, you know, major airport that was created from, from dirt was Denver International. So uh, and that was, I want to say, 1993 or something like that. And, and so, uh, it, you know, it doesn't happen very much because it's, it's super expensive. Um, the infrastructure investment that goes into any of the components of an airport are, you know, complicated, uh, further complicated by kind of the, the the broad need, the size, um, the, the particular elements that you have to build in as it relates to these, you know, multi-million dollar, very heavy, very large, very explosive aircraft um, that come in and out. So it's 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 just very expensive. How are we funded? It's essentially uh, sort of user funded uh, system. So a typical airport in the U.S. Uh, well, it's pretty much 50-50. 50, 50% uh, 50 of the revenues come from aeronautical activities, and the other 50% come from non-aeronautical uh, activities. And so what's an aeronautical activity? Uh, anything that happens on what we call the air side of the airport. So that's the runways, the taxiways. We call them RON pads. Those are uh, remain overnight uh, uh, parking locations for aircraft, cargo hangars, uh, fuel farms, all that stuff that supports the aeronautical activity, that's 50% of the revenues. That it would include uh, the rents that airlines pay for gate space, for hangar space, for any of that stuff. That all is, you know, pretty big pot for, for an airport. The Federal Aviation Administration, one of our primary regulators, they, we have a deal with them. So, uh, so I'm talking about you know the, the the revenues that an airport gets. That's not necessarily how we're funded, because uh, in addition to that revenue, there are federal revenues that airports get uh, through what's called the Airport Improvement Program. Um, this has been around for 
many decades, um, and it's the primary way capital projects are funded at an airport. The AIP, as we call it, is funded out of the AATF. If there's any business that's good at acronyms, it's, it's AVF. But, but anyway, when you buy a ticket, you'll see a list, uh, and A4A, our colleagues from the airlines, will tell you, you know, there's that our system is over attack and, and they'll list those, I think it's 17 or so different line items there that go into, um, you know, when you buy a ticket. So you buy a ticket, part of that is called the segment fee, the AATF goes to the AATF and that funds the entire U.S. aviation system. So the FAA gets most of its money uh, from that for air traffic control towers, for uh, radars, for equipment, all that stuff. Airports get a slice of that. Uh, so, the, so the AATF funds the AIP airports. Uh, in the AIP, there's kind of two parts to it. There's an annual entitlement piece. So, by virtue of your activity and existing as an official airport, you get a slice of the pie from the, the AIP. And then there's a discretionary uh, piece of that money every year. You know, if you have a, a project, uh, you know, the FAA, you submit, apply. FAA determines if it's if it meets you know some of the criteria, and then they'll fund that through the discretionary money. In exchange for that money, so nothing's ever free, right? There's a series of what's called grant assurances, and that is the federal government's thumb on the scale. They say, if you're going to take our money, you have to live by our rules. And so every airport pretty much takes the money, and every airport has to live by the rules. And the rules keep growing, and that's part of my job is to you know keep them keep them honest, keep them small. But the, some of the key principles are are, are that, um, particularly on the aeronautical, that airports are accessible, that they're available to anybody who wants to use them in a fair way um, and, and a, a non-discriminatory way. And so if you want to fly your Cessna 172 and JFK, you have that right. And that's because the Port Authority takes AIP money and, and can't close the airport. Um, so there's, yeah, I think there's like 40 or so grant assurances nowadays, and they, they have all sorts of, and in fact, you know, at one point, masks were uh, COVID, they, they added that in there. Like, if you're going to take federal money, you got to make everybody wear masks. About 10 years ago, maybe longer, I was at a conference, travel industry conference, and it was a panel. It was like an executive from Boeing, somebody from your part of the business. And I remember them describing and it's just the next time I boarded a flight and for like the next hundred flights of my life, I couldn't get this out of my mind that the air traffic control system, the way he described it, I envisioned it was like playing Pong. It is, it's so old. It's so creaky, but that was 15 years ago. Has that changed? Uh, yeah. It's in, uh, so it's in a continual state of improvement. It, it's certainly behind. And again, because of the system, there's a limited amount of funds for investment, and it's very expensive uh, to replace the stuff. And you got to replace it while the system's running, so that, that that's a challenge. There is a lot of room for modernization. Um, there's a a little bit of politics that comes into that. Um, you know, there was a, a major move in the mid part of last century, or last decade, uh, to uh, privatize air traffic control uh, to take it away from the FAA. And in Canada is, uh, pr has privatized uh, air traffic control. And everyone's like, oh, this is, this is what we should be doing. And, you know, congressmen would go up on field trips to go look at it and everyone, you know, loved it. And so it failed in the end, long story short. But what we've learned now from the pandemic is that, you know, that system isn't as good 
as you'd think. When traffic went down during COVID, well, you know, air traffic control still had to exist and all the cost of the equipment still existed. And, you know, you're still paying the controllers because you want them to come back. And so their their rates for air traffic control have gone, you know, up 30, 40, 50%. And everybody up in Canada is complaining. Here in the U.S., you know, we had the same situation with, with in terms of volume, but because it's funded through the system, very stable, right? And so, and actually, I think like many things in our sector and probably other sectors too, it was a great opportunity to actually modernize that stuff. So, so the, the process is happening. It's happening slow. One of the things the airlines don't like to talk about is that, um, you know, the, the ATC has got upgraded stuff. But the airplanes have to be upgraded too, and that's expensive. And that and that's actually something we're going through right now with, with the five G rollout. Which, if you want to get into that whole headache, I'm I'm happy to. But but uh, bottom line is, you know, there's there's a component where the airlines have to switch out their stuff, and that's expensive, and and they don't want to pay for it. So the the big fight there was about that. So it's getting better. Um, you know, the equipment is only one piece of the puzzle too. There's also the way it's set up in terms of the airspace carve outs. Uh, and, you know, we have this system that's it's basically like the interstate highway system, but in the air. And until we get to a place where everybody's sort of turned over to GPS and satellite, um, you, you, you can't get away from these highways in the sky. And that's why when you fly from, uh, say, Washington to Miami, uh, you're not actually going straight, uh, you know, you know, just set a heading and go. You have to fly to, you know, Wilmington, North Carolina, and then down to Savannah, and then across to Palm Beach, and down to Miami. And, it, and actually, you know, and that's when we talk about the efficiency, modernization. It's not, you know, it, it, it is kind of crazy sometimes how how uh, planes fly, but that's, you know, it's it's equipment plus procedures and airspace carbon. So it's, yeah, again, another complicated piece of the business. Let's close out with a uh, hot topic question here. Uh, put you on the hot seat. What is the best run airport in North America? Be honest. Oh, very, very well run. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's um, you. You have to look at the whole totality of of an airport to really answer that question. So, we started out. I said airports are like cities. You know, if you if I asked you what's what's the best run city in America. Well, you know, what do you mean? Is it the government that's running well? Is it, you know, the traffic that's good? Or is it, you know, the, the parks are really nice? Um, so <laughs> New York City, baby, it, runs like a runs like a <laughs> clock. Maybe we should have asked the question this way, because the list of what are the worst run cities? What are the worst run cities? <laughs> yeah, let's do worst run airport. At least we didn't ask you that. How about uh, kind of a one that one that is consistently well run? Well, so we do have um, part of our organization, our global organization runs this thing called ASQ, Airport Service Quality. We have uh, some that tend to, you know, be on the list quite a bit. Um, You know, frankly, uh, I think U.S. airports are at a little bit of a disadvantage because of the system that we have for investment. Um, And one of the things our organization does is evaluate the infrastructure needs of airports every two years. And so we're doing that now. We'll have a report out at the uh, beginning of next year. The last one identified $115 billion worth of projects that are ready to go uh, in the plans in the next five years um, that are needed at the airports. And and what we have on an annual... So if you break that down uh, over five years, it's like, I think, 25 or so billion dollars a year. We get, um, you know, from AIP, that program I talked about, that's about three, three and a half billion. We have another um, 
program called the Passenger Facility Charge that provides about 2.8 billion. So you can see there's there's 25 billion in need, and there's you know I think I just talked about eight or 10 billion dollars that we get every year, and so there's this huge gap in in, in what's invested. And so my my wife and I just went over overseas. We were in Singapore. You know I think that's an airport that's generally regarded as one of the best in the world. You know the the amenities that that place has, the efficiencies. Uh, you know they've, they've, they're building a brand new runway and another terminal to Changi is uh, like landing in Rodeo Drive. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. But, you know, the, the Singapore government, you know, the aviation sector, there is all kind of one. Singapore Airlines is a fantastic airline. The airport's basically part of the government. And, you know, it's the civil aviation authorities. They're all in the same building. It's very, you know, together. But it's and the Middle East does this, too, where it's, it's a critical uh, economic issue for the success of the country. And, you know, they there's no questions asked. And in our country, you know, all of us are left to kind of fight for ourselves. And so um, we have great airports. We have uh, airports that are doing amazing things with what they've got, um, coming up with innovations and, and, and new customer services and efficiencies and all sorts of things. But, you know, at the end of the day, we don't have enough money to be at that level um, that some of our uh, global can- counterparts are um, in terms of everything we offer. So so we are, have great airports here in the U.S. and in Canada. We have a long way to go. We need more money. Oh, boy. Listen to, listen to that judicious answer, <laughs> Jeff. Listen how smooth. When you're ready for uh, a pair of hosts uh, to MC the ASQ awards ceremony, though, we're here for you. Yeah. Sure, sure. We'll bring some All jokes. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it out with a hot take. <laughs> My wife and I just flew from LaGuardia to uh, Fort Myers, and I have never had a problem at LaGuardia, even before Terminal B and and kind of the retrofitting of that airport. And that LaGuardia always gets heat. It people always complain about it, and I always felt like that was a little bit unfair, especially for the the load capacity that that airport handles. I've always zipped through the lines. I've never had a problem with the gate. Sure, it was a little outdated here and there, but uh, you know, I, I feel like newsflash, you know, New Yorkers and really everybody likes to complain about their airport. And I feel like that was at the top of the list for, for U.S. travelers unfairly for a long time. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And I, it, I mean, it needed uh, Terminal B or the CTB as when I worked there, it was called, um, you know, certainly was way past its prime. Uh, and you're right. That airport is um, probably one of the most demanded airports in the world. Um, it's amazing what they do there in terms of, you know, at some point they were at the peak, I think uh, almost up to 30 million passengers a year. It's, I think, 500 acres total. They do something like 1,300 operations per day on two uh, perpendicular runways. Um, it's it, it, amazing. And and one of the things that held it back, you know, from a business perspective was, you can't stuff any more into that bag, right? And so um, what they've done and what, what Delta is doing there now doesn't add any capacity. It's all about experience. And it's, uh, I don't remember what the exact price tag is, but it's at least $5 billion, you know, to, to, to not get anything more out of it. And, you know, no rational business person would say, this is a good idea. But because of the complaining, it had to happen. And, and that's what's happening, you know, in all of our airports. Uh, LAX, you know, they're going to have, the Olympics, uh, I think it's 2028 is going to have the Olympics there. And so the last time LAX really got a big uh, makeover was the 84 Olympics. 
Um, so they're they're dumping twenty one billion dollars just into LAX um, to to get ready for that. Um, and it's another airport that people love to hate, and you know they're they're you know getting around. If you're yeah, if you're flying American, you know good luck getting to Terminal Four. That's uh, yeah, you know it could take you an hour uh, just from the entrance. And so that you know there's a, a new train system that's going to be able to get people you know in and out. It's going to hook up to the LA Metro system, and so these are the kinds of things that need to happen. But it's so expensive, and and again, we you know twenty one billion dollars. They're they're getting. Uh, they're getting maybe maybe a billion in federal aid a year at, at best. So yeah, we got a problem, but you know we're working on it. <laughs>